welcome to Basic Snitches. Hi. Hi, gay. Pride Month. I had Brian to. is back. You queer thing. You queer thing. I'm Adam. Oh. I'm Tara. I'm Brian. I'm here. Brian we're is here. Technically, we're here because we're at Brian's brand new house. We are. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it is Tara's birthday. It is my birthday. I'm older. She was squeezed out of batch 38 years ago. I wasn't. You were cut out. I was. That's Happy right. birthday, you queer thing. I should have known that. We were both cut out babies. And ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, we have finally made it to the end of this book. Today we're discussing chapter 38. Wow. The second, the second war, begins. war begins. Oh. <laughs> I was about to fuck up the title of the book. I guess there's something to the title of the book. The title of the chapter. I had two sips of wine. Before we get into this chapter, Tara, do you want to share who all of our Patreon supporters are? I sure do. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, and you are Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Jen, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Meredith, Niecy, Olivia, Nicole, and Raph. Also, Brian is here with us. Wow, you guys have so many. You are one of them. You are one of the 12 amazing humans that are supporting us. You too can be one of those humans. We'll just change that number and you will be one of 13, 13. 14, 45 amazing humans who want to support us. Uh, But really thank you guys for listening. This week we're going to be doing a game. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Because you don't know what it is yet. (laughs) (laughs) You want to be able to hear us play these fun games and get extra Basic Stitches content. You can join our Patreon. Go ahead and check out our website, www.basicsnitches.com. Click on our Patreon link and become one of our many patrons. We have three awesome tiers, many special things for you to get from us. More chances to hear our lovely voices. And thank you again, all of our patrons, for your support. Okay, so chapter 37. Oh, wait. What happened? Dumbledore lost. If I know you, Dumbledore lost. And the winner is... Whoa. Hold up, guys. Whoa. Hold on. We already, you haven't listened to that episode. What multiverse are we living in right now? I know. Now? Well, you guys are not ready for this. I remember You're not ready for this. There is no loser. Whoa, okay. You're not ready for this part. Adam was right on the winner. <laughs> Snape is the winner. What? I almost gave Harry the loss. And then I was like, mm. he went through some shit. Ultimately, everyone survived because Snape was like, well... None of those fucking kids came back. I better do something. Yeah. Snape is still the fucking worst, but he did earn that win. He so. did a responsible thing. Don't go too far with saying nope, nice things they about didn't Snape. Die. <laughs> they literally would not have survived. Really hurt to say that, but there you go. Well, I'm proud of you. Thank you. So Brian wrote a thing, and I'm gonna read it. So hope y'all are ready. Uh, yeah, they've been bracing themselves. They're like, here it is, our favorite part yep, of the episode. Yep, they Most knew. people actually stop listening to the episode after the thing is read. Because they love the thing. They're like, oh, now I know what happened in that chapter. I don't need to do yep, anything else. Need, especially that, if Brian wrote it. That's, that's all right. I need. Exactly. This is that. all backed up from data that came out of my asshole, by the way. <laughs> Woo! <Yum. laughs> <laughs> that was like a perfect time for an Alexis yum. We tried to do it, but we're not as good as Brian. No, we're... <laughs> I know my limitations. Anyway, thing for Tara from Brian. Chapter 38. Fudge Packer has finally admitted that he done fucked up and slipped for a nose's back. Wow, slip for a nose. I like it. Slip for a nose. <laughs> Harry is back in the hospital wing, which means it must be the end of the school year. 
But this year, he's not alone, because all his friends are recovering with him. Harry avoids telling Ron and Hermione what the prophecy said, because why bother telling them that his whole life is literally meant to kill or be killed? He leaves the hospital wing and runs into Malfoy, who is pissed that Daddy's in prison. They're about to throw fists when Snape shows up and tries to take points away from Gryffindor, but they have no points to take away. Come on, Gryffindor, with the actual fuck. That's when McGuff shows up and gives points out to Gryffindor and Luna, like Oprah giving out cars. Harry heads down to Hagrid's, but Hagrid starts to make the conversation really serious. And Harry ain't having none of that, so he pieces out. A few days later, Harry finds his unopened Christmas present from Sirius, a magic mirror not on a wall. Turns out this mirror is a pre-FaceTime FaceTime. He tries to use it now to talk to Sirius, but he realizes he can't talk to someone who's dead unless they're a ghost. He goes to find nearly headless Nick and asks him how ghosting works. In the wizarding world, it's more than just men suck. Nick explains that Sirius won't be coming back as a ghost because he has officially moved on from life. This year closes out and everyone heads home. At King's Cross, the Order of the Phoenix threaten the Dursleys so they won't fuck with Harry anymore. Everyone says their goodbyes and thus ends the longest fucking book in the whole damn series. There was something you said and I'm like, that is exactly how Brian would have read it. It's like I know this fucker. Yes, well done. Well done to both of you. It's like I don't write all of my things in the same <laughs> attitude. In the same Brian. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think Brian the things are in our own. They're yeah. very much us. All right, so let's get into the chapter. Let's just begin by saying that this chapter feels like a whole bunch of healing, and healing probably isn't even the right word after a shit ton of trauma, doesn't it? Therapy juice. Therapy juice. We already got an episode. Well, we just don't have to saying, name it that. We can just talk call about back. therapy juice. Therapy There's juice plenty of therapy juice, juice in this chapter. Well, things like, you know, I don't want to say things back to normal because it's like after a pandemic. No, it's going back to, back to normal. Things sort of restored, but also this kind of like bruise that's happened. I just want to put that out there. That's what this chapter is like. We do open up with the Daily Prophet article of them announcing that Voldy is back. Fudge does the best thing he's ever done in the series and calls him Lord Thingy. I hate I, that guy. I, yeah. Which is also now what I call my dick. All hail Lord Thingy. <laughs> yeah, that's what Lord they do when I like walk thingy. around my house and <laughs> naked. And then my cats just stare at me and be like, oh god. Another step down. Another step down. That's what I tell the boys in the bedroom. You want yes. disaster. All the boys that yes. you have chained to the All, the, all the, the men that frequent my bedroom. Now, the article is very refreshing, and it feels like a 180 for sure. They go from calling Harry Demented to finally being like, ah, the little nugget of truth. Right? It's kind of, like, frustrating, though, because it's like, oh, we had to, you know, get to this point before anyone acknowledged that this kid was telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the course. That feels like how the world is. You just beat it in, beat it in, beat it in before you do anything, and sometimes things aren't even done, you know. Oh, you like, are quite correct on that one. <laughs> they're all in the hospital wing. We learned that, you know, they're all healing from their ailments or their curses or whatever. Someone else is fucking there. Yes, we're not going to get for a minute. But one thing that I found interesting is we had a lot of thoughts about the brains, and somebody referred to the brains as thoughts. Did you notice that? Yeah, I thought I said something when we recorded that chapter about that. 
in this chapter it says thoughts leave deeper scars or something like that. That Keep line, yeah, that line stuck out to me too. Yeah, it, it but says, I think I said something about it. Thoughts leave deeper scarring than almost yeah. anything else, referring to the physical brain that attacked Ron. Yes. Well, what a metaphor. Something that For we real. talked about is that everything in the Department of Mysteries seems like a construct. There's the door of love. There's the room with the clocks symbolizing time. Things like that. And truly, like, it is all things that are kind of mysteries. Notice that gender is not one of the rooms of this hmm. rotating room. Huh, I wonder why. coming from the alleged author. Ugh. Because these books, remember, were found in a pit somewhere. So I thought it was interesting that finally they brought that up. That, and then there was the brief planet room. That still feel like two things that were like, okay, this is interesting. I like the fact that Luna destroyed Pluto in the planet room. <laughs> She's like, you are not a planet. And then, and then, like, 20 years later, Pluto is not a planet. <laughs> also in the paper, there are all these other follow-up articles. There's an exclusive interview from Harry Potter. Except for it's not. Luna's like, yeah, Dad sold it to them. I'm like, yes, Xenophilius, get that coin. Out. Honestly, though, like, he did the right thing. I feel like Xenophilius would be like, yeah, that's fine. You yeah. can have this. If it's an important piece of what has happened. <laughs> but that's not really how Xenophilius runs his life, so it's fine. Right, right. Yeah, all these things about the articles and what's in the Daily Prophet, it's, it at least sets the bar. There's some, like, logic here now that we didn't have uh, prior. There are, of course, a few other little loose ends that come up. We finally learn, I mean, <laughs> I learned back in the OSHA episode, but <laughs> that Flitwick gets rid of the swamp. Most of it, he's got to save the little bit. That's exactly the, the little like shrine for Fred. Not shrine. It's like a memoir. Yeah. Not a memoir, but yeah, like a memorial. Something memorial. to remember them by. Yeah, we're very much making it sound like they're dead, which is not true yet. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh. <laughs> I made things sad. Yeah, because the chapter mean. itself doesn't. <laughs> this chapter is sad without that pride. So the Swamp thing, then we learn that, there. I mean, there's other details in here, too. I'm just kind of going through my notes. Yeah. But Umbridge is in bed, which is something that I'm sure none of us ever wanted to see. But I want more info about what happened and, like, how Dumble just went into the woods and came out unscathed. He's Dumble. I think he went in there and was like, all right, guys, yes, you're angry. You're allowed to be angry. Let me get this bitch out of your way. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that's kind of how that went. I can almost picture what is the... It's in Lego Harry Potter, Brian. It's yes. the one where Hermione uses it on the Cornish Pixies, and they all freeze. Mobulus. Is it a Mobulus? Yeah. And that's what she uses, I know, in the movie. In the movie. It's definitely in Lego Harry Potter, too. Well, and it's probably the same from the movie, which was a Mobulus. It is in Lego Harry Potter, but whatever. I kind of imagine him using that, and all the Sagittarius' freeze, and he somehow picks up Pink Cho and is like, you're coming home with me. Yeah, I know, gross. I mean, he's gay, so he's gonna another. But yeah, I definitely want more information, though. That's something we talked about in a previous episode: is what happened to Umbridge. It's a shame to me that we never see her death. But Claire made the great point. She hasn't like, actually died yet. Well, She's in Azkaban. I think that if you like Google it, you get serious authors' commentary that eventually, after Kingsley takes over the Ministry of Magic, she's like sentenced to Azkaban because of. Yeah. I will say there was a moment rereading this where I, I got to the point 
of Unbreakable in the hospital wing, and I was like, oh, I forgot she doesn't die at the end of this book. And then right? it's like, oh wait, she's she in the seventh one, like, yeah. in a very important scene. Well, what I was going to say is, Tara mentioned, and this is completely true, if she were to die, we would need to know about it. Like, it needs to yeah. be very explicit. Ding dong, pink bitch is dead. It would have been interesting had there not been the reveal of her being here. Kind of like we assume that she's dead, and then she pops up like two books later or whatever, oh, that, and it turns out she's yeah, actually like, alive. So fucking disappointing. It's it, very like Marvel. Like they're not dead unless you see them dead. Yeah. But then she was also at Dumbledore's funeral, which ugh, gross. Get the fuck out. Yeah, I don't know why she went straight to that. Right. There is a little bit of a toot about divination. I mean, that has absolutely been an overarching theme here. Well, yeah, and prophecies. how they both have to teach it now. Yeah, which I think is kind of fun. That's fine. Friends can't go back into the forest because the Sagittarius are psychopaths. I'm sorry, they need to work on their anger issues. Okay. Yeah, I know. They're giving a lot of Aries energy. Sorry, Aries. It's, it's, but it's true. So you guys are ruled by Mars. Mars is bright tonight. So, yeah, there is that little stuff about divination there, which I thought at least was interesting considering the whole Hollow Prophecies thing and this also, I think, is what starts to spark Harry being like, oh my god, I never told them what the prophecy actually means. He never actually He actually doesn't does tell, them, tell them, not in this book. Yeah. We're really kind of in a straightforward way. Yeah, which part of me is like, fine. I he's mean, been through enough. The amount of time he's had to relive traumas already telling your friends something like this and seeing how they would react, and that's really how whatever his mindset is, in this chapter, he's not ready to see them react to this. Oftentimes, the thing that is happening to you affects the people around you just as much, if not more, sometimes. Because you internalize it, and you can handle it for yourself. But people who care about you are trying to handle it for themselves and for you because they care about you. That's what Harry said with Ron and Hermione literally since the first year. And it's the same thing. They all care for each other, but since the series revolves around Harry, we're seeing it from his perspective. That's his whole gambit in the seventh book. When he says they're doing the seven powders thing, no one else is going to die for me. He's not saying that selfishly. He knows that he is this person that they're rallying around and he does not want that. You know, because everyone's responding like, this isn't for you. And it's not him being selfish or being self-centered. It's him thinking about how him as a person, how this choice to take Polyjuice Potion to look like him endangers them. How he's affecting them negatively. And yes, they're doing it because they love him. But they understand it's all, all part of a bigger thing that he's trying to carry on his own. Yeah. And he tries to carry this on his own for so long. Yeah, in this book they're like, no, we're coming with you. We still have two more books of him being like, no, I, I will do this for myself because I don't want anyone to get hurt. Yeah, he's the one who has to either kill Voldemort or Voldemort has to kill him. But if I were to tell you that, how is that going to make you feel if you care about me? Now you're worried about me and you because you care about me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Adam's like, I don't know, you can go kill Voldemort on your shit. <laughs> Bye. He, he already died. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that, Tara. Good thanks, Harry. One thing that you said, Tara, in that explanation is that this is what we're going to get from Harry for the next two books mm -hmm. of him saying, I don't want anyone else to die. I'm going to do this alone so that nobody else has to die, blah, 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 blah. This is kind of a level set for me and a reminder of, like, don't get pissed at Harry every time he does this. Because there are some of these times where I'm, like, as an independent person as well, sometimes you have to rely on people. It's fine. I feel that way, too, a lot of the times. I definitely have some past trauma linked to that. Literally being accused of relying on everyone to do everything, which is not who I am, but definitely has made to feel that way for quite some time in my really? life. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, your journey is very different. 
But I mean, everyone's journey is different, and that's really the point. But then, like, Harry, that's who he is. It's frustrating because you're like, just fucking let them help you. But I appreciate that you said that because I think we all tend to be like, oh, come on. Harry is such a good and well-intended person that fucks up so much. Yeah. There's always lines there. Just because you have good intentions doesn't mean what you do is right. But you have to look at what that is. Can you improve upon that? Then we'll start there. Yeah, I like the fucking up with good intentions. That's like his brand. <clears throat> that's sure. also my brand, so that's fine. Do I fuck up with good intentions or bad? Because <laughs> the thing is, if one of us is the villain, it's me. Okay? <laughs> I know that for sure. Okay, Slytherin. He just had a conversation about me being a vegan vampire because I'm afraid of blood. <laughs> he, he is. That's okay, wizards don't. Wizards are just use Nevada Kedavra. Yes. There's no blood. So Harry uses this opportunity to be like, I can't tell them to go down and see Hagrid, which is yet another reminder of things are kind of normal. On the way, <laughs> we meet Draco and his Goonies, and fucking which is wonderful. Oh, she's but so great. Before we get into how amazing she is, and that she's back, who the fuck does Draco think he is? I'm going to make you pay for this. Oh, really? How are we going to do that? You told the world my father was a Death Eater. Hair's like, because he is, bitch. Case in point. Also, you're like this big. I'm holding up my baby <laughs> right now for all of you who are not in this house. He's got his boomies with him. Yeah. And then that's when, of course, Mika does come in and she's like, oh no. Well, no, Snape, Snape, Snape like, comes up. And he's oh, like, you're going to be fighting, okay. Oh, you fighting? Okay. Oh, I guess I can't take any points away from Gryffindor because there's none back. Then Mika's like, oh, really? 50 points to everybody. Everybody. She's so great. And Luna. She was like, you is not a Gryffindor. I feel like we don't really talk about points much throughout the whole series after the first book. Because we're, um, we just bitch every time that the right. point system is so fucked up. Yeah. In the first book, it's like everyone has 400 points, 300 points, 500 points. Always like in the multiple hundreds. And then now we're at the point that Gryffindor has gotten down to zero points. Well, that's because the, the Inquisitorial Squad has yeah. been fucking everyone over. That's fair. It's like, and whose line is it anywhere? Everything's uh, made up and the points don't matter. Yes, it's, well, there you go. That's exactly what it is. Whose line is it anywhere? Anyway. Said anyway. I said anyway, trust me. Well, I'll figure it out when I edit it. <laughs> it's me, editing Adam. She did indeed say anywhere. This um, bitch was watching British Who's Line before it came to America. Y'all need to calm down. Oh, I hate respect. Tony Slattery. That bitch was adorbs. Before we go past that, I want to comment on the Harry being like he never forgives Snape ever. How he sees Snape and he's just so filled with rage. The first few times I've read this book, I was like, Harry, you wouldn't be alive without Snape right now. But then I think about it, Snape literally just goads Sirius the whole fucking book. Harry's allowed to be, I think, annoyed that with him. I don't know that he needs to be as, like, righteously angry, but, you know, he's a 15-year-old boy who's been through well, some shit, so... And as we saw it with Dumbledore and then also Hagrid shortly, this is very fresh. It is something that he is reacting very viscerally. Oh, absolutely. Now, one other thing, actually, after this, before we get to Hagrid, as he's walking across the campus and everyone's like, Yo, Harry, you're a hero again! Because that's what happens every year at this fucking school. Right. We're like, last year we hated you, but now we like you again. Yes. There's this line that I found extremely relatable, and it's him talking about how he's alone. And he, oh, what he wishes, yeah, it's after he sees Hagrid, I think. Maybe that's what it is. When he is around people, he wants to be alone, mm-hmm. and when he's alone, he wants to be around people. That is my constant state of being. Anytime I have a thing, last night I had an event that I went to for work, and I was like, oh my god, the last thing I need right now is to be social and around people, and I'm very glad I went. 
I won 12 bottles of wine. I'm drinking part of one of the bottles right now. Yes. Usually that's how I am. Like once I'm out, I'm out. That's not necessarily true. There are some times where I haven't felt it, but for the most part, mm -hmm. once I'm out, I'm good. And then when it's time to go home, I'm like, now that I'm out, I might as well go get a drink somewhere else or whatever. There are so many times too when I have been out and like around other people, especially in larger groups, and have been like, mm -hmm. I just want to go home. Yeah. I want to get stoned. I don't want to wear pants. Definitely never want to wear pants. Now, of course, this is a safe space. I feel like this is also a small group of two of my best friends. So, like, that's fine. Yeah, I wanted to mention that line because I no, just really love that. I love that line, too. Now, when he is with Hagrid, I think Hagrid does his best, but yeah, Harry Hagrid just, does his best. Harry He's hasn't delightful. adjusted yet. He also talks about getting grob a lady, and I'm like, Harry, no, come on. That's a nope. The grobs is a gay icon. Gotta start so. that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes it all the much better, right? Harry's <laughs> like, no, I really can't do any of this yeah. conversation right now. I gotta go. And he's like, very mechanically, like, I just gotta get the fuck out of here. Kind of good on him. Like, there have been times where I've been out and I'm like not feeling it. I'm like, no, I have to be polite. Yeah. And one of my other favorite podcasts, My Favorite Murder, oh, they always say fuck politeness. Well, and I think Harry generally is usually polite and endures yeah. a lot of things that he's not prepared to do. But also, Hagrid is a person that he can do that with. And Hagrid and Harry connect so well. I think it is actually quite lovely of Hagrid to reiterate to Harry because Dumbledore has hurt Harry so much this whole year and no one else is going to talk to him about Sirius. For him to say, this is how Sirius would have liked to die. Obviously, he didn't want to die. Yeah. And, you know, and that's an important thing to acknowledge. It's very fresh, but it's also, like, the thing that's there. And my vision is that they're in the hut together, and he just has to say something. It's like, it's like an awkward silence, and it's like, something's going to come out, and it's maybe not going to be the right thing, but it's going to be something. And it's still important. It's still important for Harry to be told that by someone else who knows Sirius because Harry didn't know Sirius that well. Yeah. That's not to take away from their relationship. Sirius and Harry got to spend as much time together as they were allowed. They were given very little time and they took advantage of it. Had it been like, you know, maybe a week later, let's say, I think Harry would be much more receptive. I think too. so. Because ha you're right, Hagrid is like right on par. So then this is when he goes back to pack. And he's kind of like throwing stuff in the trunk. Tara, prior to recording, has said that this is one of the saddest chapters. I think this is arguably the saddest. There's room for other contenders. Primarily because of this part. I think because so. Because of here. Well, yes. What else would I be talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's I a mean, moment about with Nick, too. Between the mirror and the conversation with Nick. But the mirror thing is like, oh, Here's the saddest part of it to me is that he reacts to it not how I expected him to. He opens the mirror, reads the note from Sirius, and then Get thinks hopeful. he's going to see Sirius. Yeah. Not, fuck, I screwed up. Not that Harry should be, like, dwelling on that because that's going to destroy him even more, but the fact that his instantaneous response is, I'm going to get to see him again, and then he doesn't get that. Then he sees Nick, and that disappointment all over again. Like, it's just... These two big disappointments. I think the mirror thing, you know, and if anybody's reading it, I think they know, like, Sirius is dead. Things work mysteriously in this world and everything. Right. And then he, of course, shatters the mirror. Luckily, that mirror, I believe, it plays an important role in future books. It, it does, does. Yeah. yeah. That, to me, more than anything, is just, like, fuck. Sure, everything progressed the way that it needed to for the sake of the plot, but if he had just remembered that he had that mirror, 
but he didn't know what it was. That's always been yeah, the thing. That's, is it's that's like true too. it's that there was the contention of Harry would never open it because he didn't want to be tempted by whatever it was because he didn't want to draw Sirius out of hiding. The easy response because people get annoyed. They're like, "Well, Sirius is dead because Harry went to the Ministry of Magic and was an idiot." But there's all of these things in play, and we discussed it at length yeah. in that chapter. They did the thing. They used the fire. They talked to creature. They tried to verify. You can only do what you can do. And so here is another thing where like, well, if Harry just fucking opened the package, he would know. Yeah, but Harry already made the decision, knowing Sirius, like he doesn't trust the idea of it being something that's not going to tempt Sirius out of his place of hiding. There's so much overcautiousness here, which is completely understandable. Something that I have said ad nauseum on this podcast, and we haven't really talked about it too much in this book, we talk about the genre and how like is it a mystery it's not about what genre it is but what i'm trying to get to is that everything that's in these books is there for a reason not to give what's her face any fucking credit it's kind of clever that this is such a small detail at the very beginning of this huge fucking book the reader probably forgot about this too like when you're thinking of loose ends this is not one that comes up in your mind to your point, too, there are so many things that had to happen to lead to Sirius's death as well. Yeah. Just like with anything, you can never pin down it is your fault to one person. I mean, unless it is, like, a serial killer or something, I suppose. Well... Like, it's like a tragic accident or something like this, I mean, you know? it can't be because then it's not interesting. Right. I mean, it, I guess it is when it's, you know, like, an actual murder. Yeah. I guess Bellatrix would be the actual murderer, but there are a lot of things that kind of led to this. Right, well, you had even said, like, we both kind of said this, but you started in that, like, if he was not in front of Archway, then... Who's to say that he would have died? Right. If we're talking about the book, not the movie. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll get there. I got we'll get... <laughs> You already talked about that. And I'm right. like, that, you could have died in the brain room. If it was about a cadaver, like, why even with the Archway movie? Like, yeah. So then, yes, he does have this thought of, like, wait a minute, there are ghosts. Let me run and talk to Nick. This conversation with Nick also makes me think, what do the ghosts know? These ghosts have to know so much. Yeah. Nick expected him to come to him about Sirius. And it's not supposed to be widely known that Sirius was around. Obviously, like, that article came out, but in the article it didn't say who also happened to be Harry Potter's godfather who he actually had a good relationship with since he was... Scraping his name in the right, and you know what? Nick was absolutely there when James and Lily and Sirius and all of them were there. Sure, maybe he knows that, but also feel like the ghosts probably know what the fuck's going on, like the teacher is on, because obviously the order knows. But I would bet you that Flitwick and Proud and Pomfrey also know that Harry's godfather is Sirius Black. Yeah, he's a student at their school. They should know things about him so that they can care for him because they're actual good teachers, unlike some of the other fuckers who teach there. Right. There's some issues with this Nick scene. Like, first of all, of course, there is the thing that we've talked about of, like, Harry not being afraid of death and Nick being afraid of death. Why is it that the ghosts get to stick around if they're not afraid of death and have this, like, I mean, who knows, again, what is beyond the veil and all of that. But the other thing here, let's play the witchy music for the final time I, this is probably not a shock, do believe spirits are with us. 
you get signs and stuff that someone's there. And like, I think that people who have passed on, they're with us in some way. They're, everyone has spirit guides or whatever, ancestors that are watching over you. And so I don't really like the like cheap excuse of, oh, only wizards can become ghosts. I don't think that's a fair statement to make. Why even put that in there when Sirius was a wizard to begin with? I think that Nick was buying for time. I honestly think that Nick did not want to have this conversation, but he knew it was coming. So I think he just kind of was like, oh, well, only wizards. How do I postpone this inevitable question? Yeah. Because Nick is a coward. Exactly. Like, the fact that he is afraid of death and he can't even talk about his own death. What I've always thought about for as far as the ghosts go, especially after reading this chapter again, the ghosts who make this decision, and Nick basically admits that because he was afraid of death and that's an unusual thing to me i imagine that choosing to become a ghost isn't just being like i'm going to choose to be an imprint of myself i think that it is regarded as a very negative thing to people who have actually studied like who have actually studied it and you know be like they chose to be a ghost because they are not strong they are not brave i'm sorry but when you say those who have studied, you're talking about it in the context. Yeah, in the context of the yeah. story, that historically anyone who's chosen to be a ghost, they're not willing to move on, and that's regarded negatively because you have to respect death or something along those lines. Yeah, I can get behind that. I mean, I kind of compare this to Professor Binns, who I think refused to accept death because he was feeling very in the mood and he had to fucking keep teaching history of magic. I have no idea. Uh, truly, maybe for him, it was just like, he didn't accept death because he didn't know what happened. And, and that's, I mean, like, that's also like a thing. Obviously, Nick had a very traumatizing death. That is However, true. that comes out of it. The choice to do that, otherwise everyone would be ghosts. I think that, that Harry's leaning in that direction because why wouldn't someone be a fucking ghost if they have that opportunity? But I think that it's regarded negatively because you can't accept death. You are not strong enough to move on. The funny thing with that is, is like in the death day party, we even talk about like the hierarchy of ghosts and like fucking uh, Podmore, not yeah. Sturgis, but the other one. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. I hate well, that guy. Yeah, the almost superiority that he has. It's very strange when you get to this point. I agree with you. It definitely plays it up like being a ghost is a negative thing. Ben's, for example, is a good point because it's like Ben's very clearly is like he died one day and he realized that he just kept teaching. But then you think of someone like Moaning Myrtle, for example, and like obviously she was a teenager. She, and she definitely was not ready to move on. Right. Like also the Grey Lady who we spent time with in the last book. Yeah. I think that she is another really good example that kind of helps support my thought process on why I said all of that. Which is interesting because I feel like that's what Voldemort probably would have done when he died, but instead he made Horcruxes because he's the worst. Yeah, it'll be interesting to talk about that when we get to that point, too, because obviously he's not comfortable with death. We yeah. just learned that. Well, I don't think he would have the option of being... I think you have to have a soul to be a ghost, and he doesn't have there a soul. There you go. Soul. Thank you. That's exactly... Well, that's why I would imagine that anyone else who ever used Horcruxes probably couldn't become a ghost either. I think that there is also the very strong possibility that a certain author who shall not be named hadn't fully fleshed out the concept of why certain people are ghosts and why they aren't before book three. Think of all the ghosts that we are introduced to and that are referenced in books one and two, Bins and Myrtle specifically. I don't know that the concept of this is why certain people become ghosts 
I don't think that that thought was fully fleshed out when she wrote this character who just woke up one day and was a ghost. I think you're probably right. When you're doing world building, there are just all these little pieces that you hope you don't have to flesh out as much as you do and then thought you do. And so now you have to fix all this shit. And I'm sure that that's part of what it was. I feel pretty confident accepting my own assessment of this. I don't necessarily need anything more from the author to try to change what my feelings are on it. But that doesn't mean that anyone else's feelings yeah. that are wrong. It'll be interesting to investigate this further. I thought, of course, and we've already talked about this with things like aberrations of memory, but I thought of like one of the final scenes in the series where he opens up the snitch mm -hmm. and those people materialize in front oh, of him. Oh, he uses the resurrection stone. Yeah. Similarly, and I mean, that's at play too, the resurrection stone. But then there's also <laughs> what happened at the end of the last book where all the spirits came out of Oldie's wand and stuff like that. And they make sure to make a point that those are different. Exactly. I think now that we are approaching the final two books of the series, loopholes will be something that come up a lot more too. Oh, so many so, loopholes. That'll be interesting. I mean, if you were to ask me in this series, why do some people become ghosts and some don't, the answer is convenience to the plot. I can't enjoy it if I'm just like, well, this was just for the plot. Like, when I, oh, I, know. When I start examining it, I'm like, this is a fucking mess. And which right. I have said as many times in this book, but you're not wrong. I mean, I think right. that's really what it comes down to. And when you're writing a fantasy series or, or something like this where, like, you are making the calls on most aspects of how things work, I get it. But then you're going to have all of us being like, well, actually, you haven't explained this well enough, you yeah. know? The only thing I have to say about this, and I already talked about, like, energy cannot be created or destroyed, spirit guys, all that. It's another connection to divination. It is. Because, you know, can you imagine if we still have the Neville and the divination counter by this book? A good thing we retired both of those. Because that was a lot of extra shit for you to do. It would be, and literally our listeners would be hearing wine pouring and that boing sound, like, every two seconds. Harry so, self-reflects after talking to Nick. And he goes and sees Luna. And Luna oh. is well, such Luna. a calming presence. Luna's the best. Luna gets it. It's literally the thing he needs in this chapter, yes. is Luna. This is a good final bookend with Luna, because the way that she has been portrayed and always kind of being like, oh, we're not sure how she feels, and okay, she's kind of cool, and then you start to really love her. And here at the end, this is why Luna is here. Oh, yeah. Beyond everything else that she's done. Her understanding that, you know, people have taken my possessions, but they will always come back. It's fine. I don't have to worry about it. There's something about that that I'm like, man... I wish I could have some of that energy, you know? It's and pretty that's special. that's kind of the best way to end his time at Hogwarts. And then it's like a cap on it when they're on the Hogwarts Express and the Slytherins all get turned into basically slugs. Yes! By the DA. Yes, they busted that slug. Remember they that? busted those slugs. That's right. And then the ending. Yes. Which is quite delightful. Well, first, on the train, there is a little bit of a comfort of mundaneness here that yeah. comes back to, like, the core of the series and what makes me feel cozy yeah, about hanging it. hanging out. They're hanging out and all the things that they're doing, and it's, like, reminding of, like, yes, this world sucks, just like the world we live in. But there are those moments of mundaneness that make it comfortable. You know, I should have said this earlier too, but they talk about Flitwick removing the swamp. Flitwick can remove the swamp, but he can't help Marietta. I know it's two different they're things. Different, so, they're different things. But I, I had that brief thought, and that, we've talked enough about that, I think, too. Another thing that happens here, loss is something that I really thought about in this last chapter, especially with Sirius. But when Cho comes by, I feel like Cho is also kind of 
representative of some other loss that he has had through this book. It's interesting that you think of that as a loss. I think of that in a different way, but I don't disagree with the idea of that. I think at this moment, at least, it feels like a loss. Especially coming into this book. <laughs> Trauma aside, from both Harry and Cho's side, because both of them need to go to therapy. They're at the top of the list, in my opinion, right now. What kind of loss would you say this is? Just the fact that he may have thought he had a future with Cho. Okay. And that that doesn't seem like it's possible anymore. I really like all of that. I think maybe if I were to categorize this as a loss, it's more of like Harry's first romantic relationship at school was doomed from the start. Perhaps, yeah. I can see that too, because I mean, the circumstances around it were horrible. God, yeah. Cedric dies, and like, oh, now I'm gonna swing in and get his woman, and then everything that happened at that awful tea shop and all of that. There are several tarot cards that are about mourning the life that could have been. Like, if I had done this instead of this, maybe I would have been with this person, or whatever the case might be. And I kind of felt that in this moment. Why even bring up Cho in, in this moment? That makes sense. So I, I wanted to bring up Cho one more time because she has been a polarizing character in this book for sure, I think. It was a little bit of a bittersweet moment for me. Yeah. Well, at the end, finally, she's dating Michael Corner because Michael Corner's a terrible loser at Quidditch. And Ron's like, you gotta choose someone better. She's like, she's fine. Like, Dean, Dean and, and we're like, yes. And then Ron's like, what? I mean, I ship it even though she ends up with Harry, but whatever. <laughs> I like it. I still ship Dean with Seamus, so. Yeah, I mean, Ginny's moving on up. Right. As hot as Daniel Radcliffe, if not hotter. The last thing I have, of course, in this is like the lovely reception. It took them a whole book to address the. I mean, it took five books, let's say. For them to address the, the Dursleys treating hair like garbage. Hey, we've bitched about this enough. They finally do it. And I'm like, cool. It is a good way to end the book, I think, because it's like, ah, we've been wanting this, but I can't help but think like, oh, finally, what would have happened if this had been done at the end of book three? Woo. Game. Okay, so I have a game for you guys. Fuck, Mary kill! My last game and your last game in this book is Fuck, Mary kill. Easy one. Fuck, Mary kill. Awesome shit that happens in chapter 38. So the positive fuck, Mary kill. The positive mind, fuck, Mary negative. kill. Okay. Kay. So we're not going to fuck, Mary kill the sad things from this chapter? No, because fuck that. <laughs> That's what we did in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> really Crazy of me. I tried to change it up and be the not sad person today. Ah, Clink. Yeah. Clink! My glasses. It Aww. says Clink. Clink. That was a Clink. What are we fucking Okay, with? so these are your three options. McGuck coming in at the last minute and adding more points to Gryffindor and Ravenclaw as Snape tries to take points. The Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaw members of the DA attacking the Slytherins and turning them into slugs. And the Order of the Phoenix threatening the Dursleys. Oh my god, I'm gonna fuck all of these. Oof. That's the correct answer. Okay. Ooh, that's sexy. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to marry the DA doing the thing because that feels more, it feels familial, it feels substantial, it feels, that feels like marriage to me. Okay. I think I'm gonna fuck McGuck coming in, because I, I don't know how to get this back. Umbridge didn't kill her, thankfully. She swoops in, and she's like, all these points, oh, by the way, let's still take those negative ten away, like, she's the fair, just McGuck that we know. So that means I have to kill them turning into slugs, which kind of sucks, but I'm like, no, well, you, no, you, you married, you married that. that. No, I married 
the reception. Oh, okay. Yeah, You're I, marrying the... Okay, so that's Order of the Phoenix. You're marrying the Order of the Phoenix. Oh, did I say the Dursley? You said the DA. There are so many groups in this fucking book. You're not wrong. Yes, I married the Order of the Phoenix thing with the Dursleys. Okay. I fucked McGaugh, and I kill thing with the DA. Like, it's still super, super fucking cute, but I don't know. There's some violence there, I guess. Maybe that's my only reason. That's my only reason to kill it. They deserve it, but whatever. (laughs) That's why I kill it. Love it. Okay, all right. What about you? So, I was going to say the same thing until you corrected yourself and changed your answer. So I am going to marry the Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws during Slytherin because Hufflepuffs and that's marriage material and that's just a very marriage thing to do to turn people into slugs. Yeah. Know? That's commitment level that's right commitment there. Level. Oh, for a second I thought it was a sex joke. No, because I'm not fucking it, I'm marrying it. Turning people into there's, slugs. There's no sex in marriage. That explains a lot. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like marriages for me. To be upfront, I don't want to kill any of these. Yeah. Let's just preface right. with that. I'm going to fuck McGonagall swooping in with the points because I'm sorry, that's sexy. It's sexy. That is well. a sexy that's, fucking. That's move. the thing. It's sexy. Yeah. yeah. So then I'm gonna kill the Order of the Phoenix, mainly because it's the last one, but also because I don't think Harry needs it. He doesn't need them to do it. Like it's nice that they do that. It is kind of sexy. He can fucking handle them. So, I'm gonna go way off the rails here. Oh boy. As sexy as it is, and I love it so much, but I have to choose a thing to kill, I'm gonna start off with my kill, and it's the gut giving out the points. Here's why I have all three of them. I think I understand this. Because that bitch always be slaying. There are more sexy slay moments for her all over the place. The moment is kind of tainted a little bit by Snape just being back on his bullshit there, and McGonagall having to be like, yeah, well, I'm just going to handle this because you're being a dick. Like, still fucking amazing, and again, I just have to kill something, so. I'm going to fuck the Order of the Phoenix, starting the Dursleys. Because Lupin, Tonks, and Kingsley, I think, is also there. I would fuck all of them. See, I, I almost <laughs> fucked them Especially because Tonks. of who was involved in that. I almost chose I can't remember if Kingsley is there or not, but if he is. Shit, I'm not even a lesbian. I will probably fuck Tom. Okay, right? but also she, Mad-Eye Moody is part of that, too. Well, I don't so. have to fuck him. I'm just fucking the whole experience. He's just there. But also, I like... Mean, he can, like he, he so can just... Feel like we're not really I mean, also, Mad-Eye Moody would just be sitting in the corner watching Also, let, let's be clear. Mad-Eye Moody is probably a very interesting fuck. Like I said, I think he's probably quite aggressive. And then I'm what, going what to... What did I do, though? <laughs> Stop making me think about it. Hashtag I do. And so you were going to And then to marry. marry the DA, turn in asshole Slytherins into slugs, because that is fucking great, and I want to hang out with all of them all the time. This was definitely so few stories. It was fun. Yeah, oh, obviously, I was like, oh, it's just going to be fun, but it's it's all the things in the chapter that made me go, yes. Also, congratulations yes. on finding three super fucking positive right? things in the sad chapter, Tara. In the saddest chapter of the entire Aren't series. Are you proud of me? This is personal growth, I think. <laughs> Applaud for Tara. <laughs> Yes. Gay applause. Yes. Quite gay. The applause. And us. Listeners, could you tell the difference between an applause and a gay applause? They probably They can. better know. <laughs> All I remember, because guess what? Just like the rest of the Should movie, we watch I it? I didn't watch it. Nah. The newspaper thing happens, and that's cool. So there's really not much to it. In this last chapter, you really get 
Luna and Harry having their lovely moment together. Yep. It's actually pretty nice. It obviously does not give as much information as the book does. There's the moment with the shoe. Yeah, which she, is kind of like the... I forget oh, what she's, no, she's she says something. I forget what she says. Something about things always find a way to back to us at the end or something. Yeah, and she, her shoes are just like hanging yeah. from the wall. Because she's like, I'd like to pack or whatever, but all my shoes are missing or something like that. She goes, I really do need them back. Harry asks her, she explains about her mother. And that's really what we get. And then for the final piece of it, they have them kind of walking all out together. And we have to take what comes at us or whatever. And then there's a nice shot of all six of them. Harry, Ron, Hermione in the front and the other three right behind them. And that's kind of nice. Yeah, there's really not much from this chapter in the I like the newspaper thing. <clears throat> yeah, the newspaper thing is great. It was something that they used, and then they kind of use again in the sixth movie, and they use it in the Fantastic Beasts movies. David Gates just kind of took over after this movie and was like, I just like newspapers. <laughs> David Gates likes newspapers the end. There's the line at the end of, we're going to win against Voldemort because we have something that he doesn't have. Oh, what's that? Something, something worth fighting, fighting for. for. You know what? I don't hate it. A girl it's... worth fighting for. It's, I mean, yeah, it's a little cheesy, but it's also like, it's true. It's camp. Okay, we've got lots of points to dole out in this last chapter. Lots and lots of points. All right. First, positive points. Plus 22, Luna, because I think Luna has the real shining moment in this chapter. Mm -hmm. Also, Pomfrey. She's the unsung hero here. She's not really in this chapter, but she's there. She's a queen. Pomfrey's always in the background. And plus 20 to Flitwick for that swamp thing. Plus 15 to McGuff, of course. And also Dumble, because despite his better judgment, he still did the right, well, isn't the right thing to go save Chode? I mean, he did what he did. He risked his life with the Sagittarius's. He saved Chode, even though she's a fucking Plus 10 to Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, Moody, Lupin, Tonks, Fred, George, Hagrid, Anna, Ernie, Jay Finch, Anthony, Susan, Terry Boot, because of the moments that you mentioned in front of Mary Kill. Hagrid did his best to support him, even though Harry wasn't in the right headspace. Hagrid. All that. And then plus five to Peeves for still torturing Umbridge on the way out, to Xenophilius for making that coin hanny. And for the giant squid, who is mentioned in this chapter. And I can't go a chapter where the giant squid the is The giant squid anything. must be mentioned. Because it is me. And then negative points. Negative 10 to Draco, Crab, and Goyle. And negative 111 to Umbridge, because she's still here. 111 oh, you so... did the thing! What was the thing? You'll see what You'll the thing is. You'll find out. You'll find out. back to yet another episode title in this season. You know why? Because this is the last chapter we did it! <laughs> and we're a mess. I love us. So next time we are going to be having our wrap up. We're going to be talking. Yes, Tara. Like we always do. The next time we're going to be shitting live on the air. Let's get some tortillas because that's a wrap. Yeah, that's right. What are we, what are we putting in those tortillas? Tacos. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that's not, but you have to put the thing in the tortilla to make it a taco. Oh, Instead thanks. of dessert, should we order taco? I mean, <laughs> no. it makes sense for Tara's birthday. <laughs> we had pizzas. That pizza was fucking good. It was a good pizza. I'm making that pizza again. That was so good. Sounds good. I hope you invite me over again someday. <laughs> someday. 
they're gonna make a pizza and then they're gonna make sweet, sweet, passionate love. Mm. Same thing. Okay. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!